Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to True Restoration. Here is your host. I'm your host, Jason Guardiano. Our show guest is Father Michael Oswald, pastor of St. Benedict's Roman Catholic Church in Lacey Spring, Alabama. Welcome, Father, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you again for having me. Uh, how is uh, Passion Tide going, Father? It's always well, uh, going well. Uh, Lent is always a uh, uh, a wonderful time. Uh, many crosses, always, but uh, you know it's always from the hand of of our Lord, so it's always a good time. Yes, Father. Restoration Radio is pleased to present Escape from the Novus Ordo, free of charge to our listeners by the generous sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch, NovusOrdoWatch.org. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, alarmed at what Francis has been saying recently? Then log on to NovusOrdoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, Nova Sorta Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion, the modernist Nova Sorta teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovaSortaWatch.org, that's NovaSortaWatch.org, to see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church. That's NovaSortaWatch.org. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit RestorationRadioNetwork.com. Go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. If you are not a member and would like to purchase an individual episode, go to RestorationRadioNetwork.com, navigate to the episode of your choice, and simply click the links below the player on the page. After completing your purchase, you will be emailed a secure download link. Restoration Radio episodes are syndicated on iTunes and Stitcher. If you are listening to our content in iTunes or Stitcher, please be sure to leave us ratings and reviews. This will help those who are searching for truly Catholic programming to more easily find our content. You may find the links to these two syndicates on our homepage. We have many shows on the network that deal with modernism and the Vatican II changes. I'll place a list in the show notes, such as Popes Against the Modern Errors, Root of the Rot, Topics from the Flagship Show, and Sermons from, from the Pulpit. And of course, there is the show Work of Human Hands, a theological critique of the Mass of Paul VI, featuring the book by Father Anthony Cicada about the creation of the new Mass through the Second Vatican Council that enabled the outright replacement of the true Mass with the Novus Ordo Missae, the Mass of Paul VI. In this episode, we will highlight differences between the old Mass and the new Mass and reflect on some of our experiences of the new Mass in the recent past to show that a reverent Novus Ordo Mass is not enough and that things in the Novus Ordo sect aren't improving. As a reminder, the purpose of this show is to help give encouragement and guidance from a true Catholic priest, Father Michael Oswald, in becoming a Catholic in order to save your soul. In episode one, recognizing the problem, we established that a prayer life, prayer and devotions are mandatory to ask to see the truth. Faith is not a feeling. In episode two, Four Marks of the Novus Ordo, we discuss that the modernists can take Catholic terms such as one holy Catholic and apostolic, and intend something else entirely. The Novus Ordo sect, the ape of the Catholic Church today, that the world recognizes as the Catholic Church, celebrates a Mass that was promulgated in 1969 by Paul VI, the New Order Mass. This is the main point of contact for those in the Novus Ordo sect, some or those of goodwill trying to be Catholic. Uh, unlike what Benedict XVI and Samorum Pontificum and other uh, 
semi-traditionalists and conservative Novus Ordo commentaries may say, uh, the change to the new mass was not optional. Like a frog in boiling water, the gradual changes since Vatican II took over. Of course, now we have the hindsight and knowledge of looking back at the past now, now that one can plainly see that the new mass was indeed needed to express a new faith and new religion. So along those lines, Father, uh, what is the significance of the Latin phrase lex orandi, lex credendi, in the context of the traditional mass compared to the new modern mass? Well, that's uh, basically a, a a phrase that means the law of, of prayers, the law of belief, or the 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 in, the, in sort of a, a very simple phrase is that what we believe is what we're going to pray, or even vice versa, that how we pray is what we believe. And so it's a, it's just a, a reminder that in all the external worship of Holy Mother Church, is that when you see the, the traditional, the true mass, what you're seeing is the external action of the faith. And you're seeing everything that is behind it, all the, the, the dogmas and doctrines, all the beliefs that are there, the beliefs um, in the the, uh, the Holy Eucharist, the beliefs in, in the priesthood, the beliefs in the sacrifice uh, of our Lord, the, all of that is, is in, in contained within the Mass, and you're seeing it. So it's, it's the, the, and anyone can, you know, ascertain, I mean, by seeing that, is that that's how, how you're praying is, is what you believe. And so that's just even very simply is that, you know, when we, how we think or what we believe to, we're going to act that way. Um, you know, we're going to support, it's what we believe inside, you know, what we hold as a belief is that we're going to then well, just we we cannot help but then act that way and 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 project that from within or from without. So it is, uh, in a basic sense, that's that's what the that axiom is reminding us is that you know it's everything that we do is there's a meaning to it and there's a meaning behind it and and uh, the mass is the external manifestation of that in in, in regards. So when one goes to attend mass attend the true mass is that they are um not just uh you know witnessing um on the surface the the actions of the priest the actions of what's going on but they're actually viewing all the faith that's behind it and and you're formed by that uh you're formed even even if you don't necessarily understand a lot of the things but you're formed by that by the all the gestures all the postures all the uh of course the words of course um, every little rubric that is there is meant uh, to form or to exhibit what the, the belief is, what the, what the faith is, um, and because it's the it's the ultimate, it's supreme worship of the church. It's the sacrifice of our Lord. I mean, it is it is the pinnacle of our faith, uh, and but it's all behind everything that is we believe is right there behind it, and uh, so that's why it's you know. That phrase is lex radia lex vendi is, is very short, but it's very powerful. I and mean, even if you read too, you know, in, in some of the encyclicals of the of the Holy Fathers, twelfth, and the Mediatra Dei, you know, when he, he talks about that as well, and the importance of that, and, and what the Mass presents to us, and, and our worship, and, and, and all of that is an extension, or is a, a 
uh, of what we believe. And, and it's very important to keep that as, you know, keep that pure as it was given by our Lord to us so, so that everyone is harmed. Because truthfully, um, most Catholics, well, the the, the uh, Sunday is is for uh, most Catholics is 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 uh, you know the uh, the time where you know most Catholics, of course, have the the connection with uh, the faith in a more profound way. I mean, obviously, any good Catholic is going to live their faith every day and they're going to pray every day and that. But yet, you know, most Catholics are very only able to go to mass on Sundays, and so that's because of they work or what have you, but. Uh, you know, that's their introduction in a, in a more profound way, in a very visual way as well, of all that they believe and hold, which the church holds and believes. And uh, so if you, that's how a lot of people, uh, a lot of Catholics are formed, is by the Mass and, and the reverence that is there, the everything that is there is, is, is meant uh, to instill in the Catholic, um, you know, what one should believe and one has to believe, uh, but also to foster one, uh, foster a Catholic in, in their devotion and their love for their faith and for our Lord. And so that's, uh, it's the, the formation of a, of a Catholic often comes, you know, through the map. Our framework for this episode, Father, is we're going to follow a comparison between the traditional Latin Mass and the modern Mass at the Nova Soto Parish. And you can follow along at traditionalmass.org slash verses. In the traditional Latin Mass, we have an atmosphere of reverent worship, peaceful, otherworldly atmosphere, emphasis on the individual, lifting his heart and mind to God, members of the congregation direct attention to God, not each other. And compare that to the modern Mass at the Nova Soto Parish, social, classroom, entertainment atmosphere, constant standing, sitting, amplified noise, Atmosphere like a public meeting, emphasis on instruction, socializing in church before and after service, and handshaking during. Let's start with the good news, Father. When did you first see a traditional Mass? Well, the first time that I um, attended a, a, um, a Latin Mass was actually when I was in a seminary um, in the Rosardo back probably my, I think it was my summer of my first year after in seminary, um, in uh, the diocese that I was in, there was an indult, and I believe it, it might be still there. Um, and, uh, and I, for some, I don't even remember why I attended. I, I think it was uh, to talk to the priest that was there. I don't remember, but uh, I remember that was the first time, although it was the, the 62 um, missiles that were used, and it was an indult. Um, but nonetheless, it was it was the you know it was a, a marketed difference from whatever I had ever experienced before in the Minnesota. Even in some of the more conservative parishes that I was in, um, where you know you'd say the 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 new mass, they would say you know very um, try to be as pious as they could, etc. But it still was the new mass, and you can tell. I mean, it was, but with even with the the sixty two missile being used in the indult, it was still a a shockingly different uh, experience, so to speak. And uh, I know modernists always talk about experiences and all that sort of thing, but it's it was just very very 
different from the the new mass. And the one thing that struck me, I remember immediately there, was the silence, uh, was the quietness of the church. Of as you know, there was no, uh, you know, there was no uh, um, chatter. There was no. Um, Although the mass was very sparsely attended, I remember it was very, um, but it was still there was, you know, there was no almost like um, the priest being an MC, you know, trying to go the people into responding and then he'd respond and then the people would respond and they're back and forth sort of like in the new mass. And so it was, there was something um, very uh, um, otherworldly about it ultimately, which is, uh, which was, even like I said, even though it was the 62 missile and it was an indult, and I, I'm not sure if you, I don't think he was a true priest, but nonetheless, just even the actions themselves and the atmosphere was one of, of reverence and, and of quietness, and, and which was, uh, you know, it was, it was a jolt at, at first. You're never going to hear Father in the traditional Mass say, I can't hear you. <laughs> uh, yes, that's, that's very true. Yes, yes, you won't. There'd be no uh, microphones clipped onto the, the chasuble, you know, trying to get the uh, the audience, uh, the people in the church to, you know, make sure you say your responses sort of thing, yeah. And definitely the ad orientum and the uh, silence of the canon are big differences too, Father, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, it was... Uh, I, I have to, to, to say when I... You know, once I was uh, quote unquote ordained in the in the Novus Ordo, and then I I would have to offer you know the new mass. Uh, um, and I remember one Sunday, I was of the sort of some of the younger priests, I guess you'd say that you know we were trying to be more conservative, traditional, trying to be you know more reverent and pious, etc. And uh, so you know we would do you know uh, uh, things as best as we could, and one of the things that I often would do is that uh, I would um, try to say the, you know, you have, as I'm sure all your listeners will know, I mean, there's like a good, good handful of Eucharistic prayers one could say and, you know, all that sort of thing. But the first Eucharistic prayer, quote unquote, was supposed to be the canon that was always said. I mean, it's a little bit, butchered in the newest in the Novus Ordo nonetheless, but I would try to say that, but I would say it actually fairly quiet. Um and even though I you know you have to have your little microphone clipped onto you, etc., because you're supposed to say it aloud and but I would say it quiet. And I remember one time after one of the new masses, um I had an older lady uh come up to me, uh kind of irate and and she said uh Kind of, kind of disrespectful in a way, which says, you know, hey, listen, you need to. She, she's telling me you need to speak louder when you, you know, say the. Um, she didn't call it the canon, but the Eucharist. So you need to speak louder, and I said, why? She says because we need to pray it along with you. And you know that was a, like really, I mean, you. So in other words, in her mind, and she's older, older. I mean, she was obviously she was, she had to been raised in, in the traditional church. I mean church prior to Vatican II, but in her mind, the people had to pray along with the priest for somehow for it to be valid, I guess. Um, and I've heard that before. 
Yes, that sounds like the uh, assembly theology that uh, the sacrament's not valid unless it's a group, it's the community doing it together. Even even going as far as uh, confession wouldn't be valid without everyone going together in a service or something. Yes, no, that's exactly right. And I remember, too, as well, my pastor in Osorto, um, you know, once he found out that I was offering the Latin Mass, you know, for or privately or, or at least, you know, for a small group of people, you know, of course, irate he was, but um, he was telling me, trying to to uh, remind me or, or con- I don't know, convert me or something, but he was uh, saying that, well, when he was a boy and he was, he was a, he actually, he was an altar boy prior to the Vatican II Council, so he, I mean, he, he was formed in the true church and in that. So he would serve mass for true priests, you know, as they were offering mass. And he said in his home parish that there was, I don't know, he said like five, I don't know, five priests in the, or something or five or six priests or something. There was a lot of priests and they would have mass at the same time. Um, and, you know, there'd be just the, the servers there. And, and he, he said that how, he was trying to tell me how bad that was because there was no one there, no laity there to attend the mass as if somehow that the mass was invalid because there was no lay person there to, you know, attend those masses that was going on. It was the priest and the server and it was kind of pointless in his mind that that was going on. And he was shocked when I told him on my day off, which I had a day off every, I think mine was on Wednesday. I can't remember Wednesday. Even on my day off, I would offer Mass, at least what I thought was the Mass, but it would be the last Mass, but I would offer Mass. And he was shocked because he thought, well, why are you doing that? Because there's no one around. I mean, there's no lay people there. So as if it was just pointless or worthless to do so without the assembly there. And so that, uh, again, was another light bulb uh, going on in my head when he was telling me that. With the new Mass, Father, is it an exaggeration to say it is a worship of man? You know, I don't. Th- I think that is a a a, a perfect um, explanation. And I, and and I know for you know when I was in the Novus Ordo, I know those who are in the Novus Ordo now. There, they would you know they would say, "Oh no, no," you know, and that's it's not that at all. But really, one has to look and take a step back and look and say, you know, well, like Lex Rodney, Lex Rodney, is it, what is the things that are being done? What is the focus? What are the ends uh, that are there, the object of of things being done? And if you just take a step back and look at just the externals of things, um, you know, you begin to kind of put things together um, maybe independent of themselves, maybe not so much. It's a little bit fuzzy, but when you begin to put things together, you begin to see, yeah, it truly is a worship of man. Even in just things like architecture, you know, when you build a church, you know, the rubrics for building a church, and, and you know, it's, you're supposed to be in a cruciform manner, manner, etc. And and but yet, <clears throat> in the Novus Ordo, those who've been really, well, really, it started even before the. Vatican Council, when the modernist kind of, you know, but there'd be certain churches, and a lot of the churches you have now in the Novus Ordo, 
they're built in a circular manner, like in, a, in, a, in the round, we called it. Um, and the reason why, and we were actually told this um, in seminaries, the reason why that you have this kind of circular manner of the church being built, so people are sitting in like a stadium sort of atmosphere, is that so you can see other people. Um, and so that is, you know, that was one of the reasons we were told in seminary why those that architecture is like that. So if that's the case, if you're going to to the church to mass uh, to see other people, then you know there's something wrong there. Um, you know, you're you're there to supposedly, at least to, you know, to worship God. Um, so all these. Even those little things from even the art and the architecture all the way down to all the, um, you know, the, the positioning of, of things within the church, you know, the moving of the tabernacle, all these sort of things. Uh, it, there's, there's a theology behind it, and it is truly the cult of man. And even Paul VI, you know, you have to take sometimes these martyrs at their word, you know, it says, now is the cult of man. Well, you know, I... I you know, that's if you look at at how things are going and, and what the focus often is, even the changes in the mass itself. Well, the focus is is man. I mean, there's really no way to. I mean, one can try to rationalize it away or try to say no, it's not that way. But you know, actions speak louder than words sometimes. And when you see certain things like that, you have to say, you know, that's. You know, that is truly, the focus is man there. Yes, definitely. People go for social reasons. Everyone's forgotten Christ. And don't forget the hand-holding during the Our Father and the shaking hands as a sign of peace. All these distractions from prayer. There's so much noise, it's not conducive to prayer. That's true. Uh, that's uh, And I'll give you even just another sort of example of how the focus is on man and not on God is that um, I've given, I've had, uh, well, I've had uh, many uh, funeral requiem masses uh, for uh, people who have died, but often is that uh, um, the family of those who have died are Novus Ordo um, for the most part. And this may be the first time that they're Attending a, a a Latin mass, a chu mass, and of course being a funeral mass, it's you know more in, involved in, in a certain sense and certain things. But uh, there was one that I had where the family, the the it was only the the son uh, who was traditional Catholic, and the rest were all Novus Ordo. But yet the mother who died was a traditional Catholic, and she wanted the Catholic, and she made sure that. You know, made arrangements so that the, she would have a traditional uh, Catholic mass and a burial, etc. And but the rest were all Novus Ordo, and it was packed. And, and I was giving uh, the the mass, and I had the sisters there who were the choir um, and part of the choir as well. And it was you know the whole everything. And we had some of the parishioners from our parish who were there um, in the parish that I was at before, who were attending as well to ha- to help as well and. Uh, and I was, of course, I did all the math, you know, but me being my focus is not on the people, it was <clears throat> on what was on the math, what was going on. But I was told later by some of the sisters and, and some of the parishioners as well is that they were 
kind of observant of what that was going on with the Novus Ordo, and because the Mass itself is is Christ-centered, it is God-centered, it is not people-centered, it is not man-centered. <clears throat> and after a while, um, the people, the Novus Ordo people there, they were getting a little perturbed, I guess, is what I can, was what kind of was the feeling or what they was being gathered, because, um, and this was affirmed by some of the comments made to me uh, by them after, to me personally, by, is that basically I was not talking to them. I was not engaging them in the mass and the liturgy, like in the Novus Ordo, is that, you know, it's this back and forth. They, they get to do something, the priest gets to do something. They get to do something, the priest gets to do something, etc., etc. Well, they were getting a little perturbed that they weren't allowed to do that. And, you know, that, again, is, is, is that's the mindset of the man-centered liturgy um you know it's what i can do or it's my rights to do these things etc and it's my the focus then is on men on on god and especially in the funeral mass the focus is on god and it's on the, the deceased soul we're praying and interceding for the deceased soul it's not about entertaining the masses that are there um you know the people that are there and so you know that that again is just a, just another example of the praxis, the the of uh, what, how the Novus Ordo, the new mass, has formed people because it truly has formed them to be. It's about man. It's not about God. It's about what I can get out of mass or what's you know I can how I participate. You know that's my gauge as far as my uh, what I can take from my worship, etc. Now the second comparison in the old mass. Profound reverence for the real presence. Sixteen genuflections. The hands of the priest alone touch the consecrated host. Communion given only on on the tongue. In the modern mass, indifference, irreverence toward the real presence. Only three genuflections required. Laymen and women distribute communion. Communion given in the hand. A practice Protestants introduced to deny Christ's real presence. Father, uh, what is it that the priest says uh, before one receives communion on the tongue, kneeling at the communion rail in the traditional Mass? Well, the priest will say, uh, Corpus Domini Nostri Jesu Christi Custodit Animum Tuam in Vitam Eternum Amen, which means, may the body of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve thy soul into life everlasting. Amen. You know, even in that, just a small phrase, per se, it encapsulates the faith, the belief in not only the, the, the body of our Lord, the, the true presence, the real presence of our Lord in there, but it's also it also the effects that is taken from that is to preserve my soul to life everlasting. As, as you know, we receive uh, a Holy Communion, if we receive it in a state of grace, of course, and we, it's to life everlasting. It keeps us strengthened against temptation, against sin. You know, it keeps us bread of life, uh, so to speak. And it is that it sustains us in our, our daily battles. You know, that's the the effects of of Holy Communion, and the focus is on our soul, is on the you know, meaning that uh, our soul um, is very important is to be in a state of grace. Is that you know, we this is a life. That we live here is is kind of like it's kind of like a boot camp in a sense for us, a training camp. Is that you know we 
you know, we're given the choice here now to either choose heaven or hell. I mean, that's our choice ultimately. You know? But we have at our fingertips where our Lord has given us is these these weapons at our fingertips uh, uh, to use, uh, and most profoundly um, is His body and blood, soul and divinity, and holy in holy communion and the Eucharist. And so it is. It is uh, you know profound in in everything that you. Every prayer, everything that is said in, in the true mass is, you know, it's it's profound in, in what it is, and so it it is understandably so is that, uh, um, you know, I'm I'm a student of history. Um, I, I certainly enjoy not only just history in general, you know, but most especially is church history. And really, if a Catholic knows history, their home, the church's history, they begin to, all these innovations that have happened in Vatican II, it should click with them that, oh, wait a minute, I've seen this before. And they go back and say, wait a minute, where did this these innovations come from? And if you go back in history, is that when Luther broke with the church, and Luther and his, all those other, you know, um, um, Partners in crime, heretics, you know, Calvin and Zwingli and all that. Eventually, what do they do? There's many, all the things that they begin to change, they've changed, you well, know, because of their beliefs. And so they would turn the altar, turn the altar to be just a table. Then they turn the priests around. Then they say it in the vernacular. Um, then they would have communion in the hand. And then they would have, um, you know, they change the, the, the vestments that the priests would wear, etc., all these things, um, which Vatican II in the New Mass has done, Luther and all his ilk had done before. And so that is just another reminder that why did they, why did Luther and all his uh, partners in crime do that before? Is to change the belief in the Eucharist, to change the belief that the Mass is not a sacrifice, as they change the prayers, to change it to be a communal meal of just a, a, a representation of a, of a supper, of the Last Supper, etc., and all these sort of things, is to change the whole belief in theology um, against the the beliefs uh, that the Church has always had, and which is always given to us by our Lord. And so, fast forward then, you know, how many centuries, and, and what has Vatican II done? It's done the exact same thing that Luther has done, but what was the reaction of the church back then when Luther did his condemnation? They said, no, absolutely not. You know, and they they did they called the Council of Trent, they had to reaffirm all these, you know, beliefs and and, and, and just to make it clear, no, this is this is all, you know, bad stuff. Uh, but then Vatican II now has with the new mass has now changed it has now triumphed that of Luther and his his uh, compatriots there. Um to what you have now, and so you have the the um, indifference and irreverence, especially towards the real presence. Um, you have in the old mass, like you said, there's you know the priest is almost constantly genuflecting. Um, also, too, the priest <clears throat> when he touches the sacred host, um, his fingers then are closed. Is his uh, thumb and his first finger there is closed because any particles then, of course, is is to is our Lord. And so you want to protect any of that. You know, there's no, you know, you take every precaution um, because of that. You know, you, you, 
uh, scrape the corporal with uh, the patten, uh, you know, at communion time to get up any particles that one can uh, see in regards to the corporal. Um, all these things are just, uh, um, again, a manifestation, a practice, a, a external uh, presentation of what we believe. If that truly, uh, you know, if, if one truly believes that that is our Lord's body, blood, soul, and divinity, which it is, then you would do everything in your power uh, to portray that. And, of course, the church provides that, tells us how to do that. It's just the opposite in, in Vatican II, as you said, is that, you know, you have now uh, communion in the hand. You have lay people now can just, any anybody can touch um, the host uh, in regards. And, and so all those, you know, things that the church had done for centuries, centuries from the very beginning had, had to protect not only the, the sacrament itself, but also to convey to the people the truly what is happening there is, is now all changed. And it is all by their practice. And really, they do not believe in the real presence. And I think the last the last poll, I guess, the um, it was a, a secular poll outside uh, that I saw before I left, you know, was the Catholics were asked in the Novus Ordo, you know, do you believe in the real presence? And I, I think the, if I remember correctly, back then, and this was you know, a while back, but it was, I think, about only about 20%, if I remember correctly, actually believed in the real presence. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah, definitely learning about the ordained hands of the, of the priests and only those hands are allowed to touch the host. That, when I learned that, when I was in the Nova Sordo, that was the day I stopped doing, quote-unquote, Eucharistic ministry. And also, along with that, the responsibilities were to purify the vessels. So, so it was a horror to find out, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing all of this. I'm doing all the things that the priest should be doing. But in the end, I well, guess we can just be thankful that uh, it was the new Mass, and uh, so it was in, invalid anyway. Yes, I mean, I, I guess, you know, one that is, uh, as, much, as much as we can uh, certainly uh, uh, lament, at least the understand, or at least the uh, intention of, you know, if someone truly believes that, that is our Lord, um, and how what is being done is that certainly if that truly was our Lord, that would be a, a great travesty to see that. But you know, at least uh, you know we can at least uh, be assured um, and take co uh, consolation in that you know that's that's not our Lord uh, there. But nonetheless, it doesn't change the fact of the disbelief and the indifference of, of you know, the intention of, of people. And, you know, there's just, like you said, is that just the whole understanding that is only the priest and his consecrated hands who could touch our Lord. I mean, it is through the priesthood, it is through his consecration of his hands that, that he's able to do that. It, it, it And to the sheer fact that the audacity um you know, to to think that somehow then those who those hands of say lay people who aren't consecrated have consecrated can you know just touch our Lord and just to, and just wouldn't you begin to because I too I remember when I was in seminary anyway I was a Eucharistic minister etc and and once I I too um, began to to really understand that I, I was 
I was uh, I was appalled at what, how could I, uh, just a layperson at that time, you know, touch our Lord when we're not supposed to. But it's again the the understanding you, be, you become desensitized by the practice of things over time. And just to give you another example, um, you know, again, twenty percent only really believe in the real presence, and, and the rest don't. And, and to, just to give you an example of that is that. I remember giving in the parish I was at, uh, assigned as a, an Oro as a priest, a presbyter. Um, there was always the, a couple of families would come up, um, and they would they they would form like a semicircle around me as I would, and then I would give them, you know, the host, each one, and they would in the hand, and they would all wait until all the family got it. Of course, and they're in the semicircle. And they would all look at each other then, and then they would all eat, the, you know, the host right there. And then, so it was not about the um, them receiving Christ um, individually. The individual soul, it was about a communal meal of the family and, and more of a in, a, in a sort of religious, quote, unquote, atmosphere. And so I, I every time that I would have to do that, I would I would cringe and I would say, you know, it's you know, it, it was more about again the communal meal, but that's what the Novus Ordo portrays. It's a communal meal. It's a you know, a, it's just a, a a representation of you know the Last Supper and how nice it was and and how they all you know were able to share a meal together, etc. And and the camaraderie that was there and, and that's what that's what I saw when I when I would do that for those families. And you know, it's it's not necessarily that they were of bad will. But that's how they were formed. Um, they were they just looked at it as just a communal meal. As they didn't look at it as a personal, you know, this is Christ I'm receiving in my soul, and and you know, two candles melted as one. They were looking at it as how nice that we can share this together as a family. Uh, before we go further, Father, uh, we would like to remind you that you are listening to Escape from the Novus Ordo on the Restoration Radio Network. I am your host, Jason Guardiano, and I am joined by Father Michael Oswald, and, and today we've been discussing the Novus Ordo Mass, um, its intentional reverence, uh, the worship of man, the denial of the real presence, and the assembly theology requirements. We want to remind you that Escape from the Novus Ordo is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. Well, uh, Father, no wonder uh, we imagine uh, the Novus Ordo Mass as, a, as almost a play, as a narrative, because Father's just following the, the narrative of, uh, of the Last Supper, and then at the end, we all get to, we all get to eat, too. Ultimately, yes, that's, that's like I said, uh, ultimately, that's how one is formed. I mean, it is, uh, you know, day after day or Sunday after Sunday, if this is what you're seeing, if this is you're being inculcated with, you're going to act that way and you're going to believe that way. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's what it is. It's just a, a meal, a communal meal of, of a time for people to get together and, and in a natural way, and to say how nice this is, and and then and 
you know, it, it is a, well, it is, a, it's like a social club is ultimately what it comes down to. Um, you know, it's like going to your, your local moose club or something, whatever. Um, people are somewhat like-minded to get together and to enjoy a, uh, some time together and and then go home. Um, that's basically kind of what it turns out to be. Um, and that's 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 how it was formed or at least designed to be. I can also interject too is that there was a point when I was in the parish when I was offering the new mass in one of the churches that I had offered that in. It was one of the of a, of a semi-circular style, very very auditorium-like, very cold, very indifferent, you know, very very Protestant-looking. But nonetheless, and the the altar was or the table was there, um, kind of you know in the center, like a stage in a sense. And I remember facing, uh, of course, we always had to face the people. And my my practice was I always just tried to keep my eyes down. I didn't want to look. Up. I didn't. In fact, even when I was giving the the sermon, the the homily, um, you know, I would rarely look up. I would just try to keep my eyes down, in a sense. Um, but I remember, as I was, must I think it was during the one of the the, the Eucharistic prayer, the first one, and, and I stopped, I paused, and for some reason, I just looked up, and I looked out. And it was packed. I mean, there was the church was packed, and I looked out and I just kind of scanned for a moment, and I got the the very distinct understanding that this is the stage, and I'm here to perform for them um, because they're all kind of just looking at me, um, and you know, they're. It, I felt like an actor on a stage, and I quickly looked down and just continued, but I was shaken. I remember at that moment. Um, because that's ultimately what it was. It was, why am I looking at them? Why are they, in a sense, looking then back at me? Well, then we should be looking at Christ, at God. And so that, again, was just another little light bulb that came on, too, as well. Uh, Father, so what differences are there in the Novus Ordo Eucharistic Prayer one versus the Roman canon of the of the traditional Mass? Well, uh, some of the the gestures, um, the the uh, blessings that are done, are admitted, I believe, in the the uh, the new Eucharistic prayer number one. Um, also, there are some things optional, like the mentioning of the saints, um, are optional um, in the Eucharistic one. You know, they have a little parentheses in that section to say, you know, if you want, you can say it, but really, you don't have to. Um, a lot of the endings, like the uh, doxologies, uh, are excised as well. Um, so there's there's some changes in regards to to uh, it's it's kind of um, with the you know saying that you don't have to say these things. It's it's, it's in a sense trying to expedite um, saying this because the canon takes time. I mean it is it is a you know you, you it's a long. Uh, of course, prayer in that regard, and so there's gestures to be had uh, to be done, you know, the blessings, etc. And the, um, so, I think it was just uh, those things are more optional in the new mass. Um, but truth be told, most presbyters, most priests in the Novus Ordo, they don't do that one. 
the, the, the main one, the, the number one that they do is Eucharistic prayer number two, because it is quick. It is very, I mean, you can say it really in almost two breaths and you're done. <laughs> um, and so that was kind of the, uh, that's where a lot of them, uh, that's what they'll almost always say. And you can read a lot more about all these different Eucharistic prayers in uh, Father Anthony Chicada's Work of Human Hands. And uh, we also have a, an accompanying radio show as well on the network. Um, what about our the different postures in the Mass? Uh, Father, in the in a low Mass, for example, we we do, we are kneeling through the the majority of the Mass, but then on in, in the new Mass, kneeling is optional, and also there's a kind of an enforcement of uh, everyone having to do the same thing. Yes, that is. Uh, you'll find um, in some uh, Nova Ordo churches is that you'll find uh, they won't even have kneelers. Um, and even in the seminary where I went to seminary is for the few first couple of years, there were no kneelers, um, but they were put in later after some complaints, etc. But But the, the understanding ultimately, again, is why if, if one truly believes that our Lord is present, the real presence in in the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Then, why would you not want to kneel, and why would you not want to adore and and to um, show your your uh, humility at the feet of of Christ the King? But again, if it's about man, then you know why why kneel? I mean, why not just stand and sit and and and, and more than anything else because man is the focus now. It's about our preference, our comforts in a sense. And so the postures that that are had is is just indicative of ultimately the belief. And again, you, you even in the Norse order, even I did the same thing of trying to rationalize and say, oh no, I I believe that that's our Lord in the, in the real presence, but I would have to, like everyone else, have to stand to receive what I thought was Holy Communion, and then have to receive in, in the hand, because some a lot of the priests would not give in you know in the tongue, etc. And but you know you try to rationalize, say, oh, but I I believe that that that's our Lord. Well, if I really believed it, then why am I not kneeling when I receive kneeling and and, and receiving on the tongue when I receive it? Because only the priests should be able to touch our Lord, etc. Um, so. We can. Uh, I remember. I can say all I want and object. Say, "Oh no, I believe. I believe this. I believe that." But ultimately, again, you go back to the axiom: "Let's let's uh, What how we uh, pray is how we believe, and so our actions bespoke then are um, what we believe, and so it is it is uh, the praxis or, or the understanding is that uh, you're you're required to do what everyone else does and and there were some who would try to kneel um as everyone you know files in line and go stands in line and to receive uh, to take our lord uh, not receive but really take um and if someone would kneel oftentimes the the presbyter the priest would would tell that person get up you know, don't kneel. 
I mean, I'm, because, and the reasoning was that you just have to do what everyone else is doing. Um, and so you're forced then by your actions to be formed by your actions. And so you're, you're forced then to stand and eventually you're going to start believing like that. And everyone else is that eventually your, your faith, uh, which you think in the real presence, etc., is going to start to wane um, because you're just standing, receiving, taking our Lord in the hand, etc. And, and so again, it is, it is an intentional act imposed by the Novus Ordo to form belief. Along those lines, the next comparison is is in the traditional mass fidelity to Catholic doctrine over the course of a year presents all facets of Catholic doctrine, and in the modern mass, systematic omission of Catholic doctrines. New prayers systematically omit references to hell, judgment, punishment for sin, merits of the saints, the one true church, the souls of the departed, and miracles. Uh, there is a list on NovaSortoWatch.org, our sponsor of uh, words you will not hear in the Nova Sordo. And if you do hear them, the, the meanings change. There's the words sacrifice, reparation, hell, the gravity of sin, snares of wickedness, the burden of evil, adversities, enemies, evils, tribulations, afflictions, infirmities of soul. Um, I'll put the uh, URL in the episode notes. Yes, Father, so this speaks toward uh, the Lex Orandi, Lex Redendi, that uh, They've removed these terms out of the language, so I guess you don't have to believe them. Ultimately, the bottom line is yes, that's true. I mean, it is, uh, it is uh, um, again, an imposition of what the belief of the Noah's Ordo has now become, is it, or it now is, I should say. It is, you know, it is not about, well, you have to really actually look and say, when one is at a mass, attends the, the true mass, Latin mass, ultimately what you can think as you're as you're there is you're on Calvary, you're at, you're on there at the foot of the cross. I mean, so you're you're kneeling right there along with our Blessed Mother and Saint John at the cross, uh, at the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, of course, of our Lord. At every mass, you're that way. And so, if you if your mindset, if you believe, uh, and, and which the Church has always uh, provided and, and, t- and formed us to, to to think that way. Then things like you know guitars and bongos and drums and you know all these theme masses and you know clown masses etc. Why all these things are just novelties and just or they're just sacrilegious really and ultimately it's where you're supposed to be. But the so when you then excise those words from the prayers of of anything to do with sacrifice, anything to do with, um, you know, our uh, responsibility uh, for fidelity to the church, to our Lord, to talk about evils or afflictions or anything of those things which are, quote-unquote, like the negative theology, um, you know, that's kind of, a, that rubs against the, the grain against what the Novus represents, which is just a happy-go-lucky sort of communal um, you know, holding hands ultimately, you know, like the Our Father, etc. You know, holding hands, and you know, isn't this just, just you know, nice and happy time? Um, so it kind of rubs against the grain of that. And so, you know, you have again all those things that are are, are taken, and, and one can look at just this change, that change, and maybe in a sense take it 
one by one and say, well, maybe that's not so bad, so to speak. But then if you have to put it all together, it forms a certain and clear and definite picture of what the belief is. And again, another example would be, I would, in the parish, I would go to a, there's a nursing home that I would go to and, and say the, um, a mass, uh, uh, you know, no new mass for the nursing home, the Catholics of the nursing home. And it was run by um, a nun. Um, I mean, you couldn't tell she was a nun, but she was a nun. Um, and um, she she insisted that she always wanted to read the um, first reading and the second reading. And so fine, uh, I would you know, have her do that. And But there was one time where the one of, you know, out of a hundred times where the, the first reading actually had a veiled reference, and I can't remember where it was from, had a veiled reference to hell. Um, it was a very veiled, but it was still, I mean, you certainly could, could uh, um, take it that, that you know there's a you know there's a, there's a heaven and a hell and and, and it was a, basically a punishment for sin. And this this nun, when it came to that part, she skipped over that entirely, and she continued on and, and just finished the first reading, etc. And but my my sermon, my my homily, you want to say is was kind of based on that, on that particular understanding of, you know, we, of the afterlife we have to prepare for. And, and, I, and I confronted her after, and I asked her, why? Why did you do that? And she says, oh, well, these people, they don't need to hear anything negative like that. And I told her I, I was mad, and I said, listen, they're one step in the grave the way it is now. You think they would want to prepare and, and to before you know, the last judgment or the, the, their judgment here when they die, you know, because the four last things here, you know, I kind of remind her, oh, well, we don't, you know, we don't want to burden them with that. And it's okay. Um, but that's the mentality is that when you begin to excise those um, things of dogma and doctrine of, of things of even just of sacrifice or reparations instead of hell, of all those things, well, then, you know, everyone, it certainly goes into the, the understanding of the new theology that well, there's universal salvation. Everyone's going to heaven. It doesn't, you know, it's, uh, it's as I think Francis has declared or will declare. You know, they have the year of mercy now. Well, before you have mercy, you got to understand what's, you know, why you have mercy. Well, there's they don't even understand sin. There is no sin. So why does there really have to be mercy per se? Um, so it's just a, another again uh, understanding of of taking things. And looking things at more kind of object, objective way, but what is being done and said, there's always a meaning behind it. There's always a purpose for it, and there is a there's a marked difference between what the church has always taught and said, especially through holy, the holy sacrifice of the mass, and what the new uh, Novus Ordo has has changed. Uh, Father, we're out of time, and I don't want to take too much time away from you during uh, the week before Holy Week here, so. Uh, we'll continue next next episode. As we close out this episode, we've covered the worship of man in the new mass, the intentional reverence, the excising of Catholic doctrine and, and Catholic language. Um, and I want to thank uh, Father Oswald for his time and being with us on this episode. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add in summary before we close out our episode, Father? 
No, not necessarily. Other than uh, it's it's always good for or for Catholics to um, have uh, and find good books um, which help to not only teach one like catechism, like the uh, uh, the catechism books uh, on say the mass, like. Um, if you want something in regards to a, a deeper catechism or a deeper understanding of the Mass, you can get something like, say, um, the Sacrifice, Holy Sacrifice of the Mass by Father Nicholas Kerr, or you can get uh, Father Chicada's book on on the you know comparison between the New Mass and the old uh, and the old Mass, the True Mass, or you can get one that would edify one uh, to understand the Mass more. Like there's um, the Incredible Catholic Mass by Father Mont. Martin von uh, Kochem, I think, or The Hidden Treasure, uh, which is by St. Leonard of Port Maurice. You know, those things are all will help to not only have a, a Catholic have a deeper and love for the Mass, a deeper understanding of the Mass, um, but also will we'll begin to certify that, you know, what the old Mass, the true Mass, it has always been, and you begin to see the new Novus Order for what it is, and, and it is exactly, it's the cult of man. Thank you, Father. Uh, how are Holy Week preparations going? Uh, Holy Week is probably, as far as uh, most priests are probably say, is that I think in, in during Holy Week, priests will probably get probably maybe four hours of sleep uh, throughout the whole week. <laughs> so I uh, <laughs> always... Uh, Always uh, intense, uh, but certainly, of course, well worth it as it's the great pinnacle of uh, the Church's liturgical year. Yes, yeah, so thank you so much, Father, for, for your time. And we'll talk to you again next month as we continue this series. God bless you. All right. Thank you. God bless you. If you have any questions for Father Michael Oswald or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at escape at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions or comments to Father Oswald, and we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us are strictly confidential. We would like to thank, again, the sponsor of this show, NovusOrdoWatch.org. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. 